When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I'm here today with Ben Stewart. We were just having a fascinating conversation and we realized we do not have enough time to cover it all today. So we're going to give you a little teaser today and uh, then we will continue with a part two. But he's going to be speaking at Rebels for Cause. He's going to be on a panel and uh, possibly showcasing some of his uh, film work. He's a filmmaker. He's also a musician and uh, covers a lot of he's been uh, covering this uh, bookshelf here for way longer than I have and uh, was sharing some of his thoughts so how are you doing today doing great yeah love and life Tennessee yeah. <laughs> what's the complaint about <laughs> right right so you were saying uh, about the shift in your filmmaking from uh, you know prior to 2020 to now and that this was something that really resonated for me just because of uh, you know, for, because of this uh, festival that I'm putting together, one of the things that I was I was sharing with you that I keep seeing is that these information conferences. So my tagline for my podcast is to inform, inspire, empower, and I do believe knowledge is power in a lot of cases. But I think unfortunately, what happens with a lot of these information conferences is people just end up leaving very black pills. You know, they go and they're so excited to, they feel like they're not alone and they get to meet like-minded people and they have all this information now and that's great. But then what I hear from a lot of people is, okay, what now? What do I do with all this? And it can be incredibly uh, depressing. They're filled with despair and fear, which I think arguably is kind of the elite's goal. So we don't want to contribute to that. I wanted to create something that would be, you know, a hybrid of the arts, which I think can be a way for people to bond that can be fun um, and to combine the two. So that, that's what that's all about. And I think also we just need something, this is something I'm sure you can really speak to, is that unfortunately, because art is so powerful, and uh, you know, as, as, as humans, we're creative beings. One of the ways that's manifested is through art. Um, but unfortunately, because it's so powerful, it oftentimes can be co-opted and infiltrated for the purposes of social engineering, the masses and culture creation. That's not necessarily organic or even pro-humanity. And so I wanted to have a you know platform that showcases art that is liberty-minded, that uh, you know honors people taking ownership of free will, um, and that just that can be fun. That's not degenerative necessarily. So yeah, so. What are your thoughts on that? And let's talk a little bit about how things shifted for you after 2020. Yeah, well, I mean, so back in 2008 was when I started making films. I was in a progressive rock band called Hyrosonic. And um, in the band, I was already, you know, progressive rock. There's something about rock that has like a rough edge to it on purpose. And I wasn't able to put it, you know, put words to it back then. But the thing I always liked about that was it felt more real than the 1980s girls, 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 everything's perfect, let's party all the time. Right. Once Nirvana, Nine Inch Nails, um, Tool, Rage Against the Machine started coming around, people felt refreshed mm -hmm. because like this is more real, mm -hmm. right? It, it's okay to say when things don't feel absolutely perfect. And you have this book over here, The Fourth Turning, it's got the stripes on it. And they call, you know, from 82 on to, you know, about 2000 is the unraveling. There's like four periods. So there's a crisis period followed by an awakening, followed by a high, followed by an unraveling back to a crisis. And for me, I always knew that rock and roll was there to push the edges and to, you know, be honest when things aren't perfect, but channel it into art. To, to transcend the just woe is me and, and put it into something where you're, you're speaking somebody's language. They're maybe downtrodden, they're at home, 
and the only thing that speaks to them is this one song, right? Their heart is broken or they're just feeling like, you know, nothing's going right. And there's this one song that is speaking the language of their soul. They're not putting on like disco music being like, oh, this will cure me. Right. So that in 2008, that was when I started making films. Or I, I, it was 2007 that I started, but 2008 Esoteric Agenda came out. And I was making all the soundtrack and it was the same thing as music production. There's sound design, there's uh, your voice, and there's now it's just like a music video. You're adding visuals to it. But I was doing the same things. I was po- poking at the boundaries of what people want to believe we're living in this like, you know, um, beautiful society where the, the powers that be have your best interest in mind. And really, it's not that they have your worst interest in mind. They just have their own best interest in mind. And that's how it seems to shake down. So conspiracy hit me in the same way that psychedelics did. They cracked me out of this illusion, mm-hmm. but it didn't put all the pieces together for me. It just cracked me out of the illusion. And so I knew from that point that it's not all about like the Tony Robbins, let's just, let's put your life together and let's tell you how to like really like, you know, self-empowerment, that's great. But self-empowerment, on its own is not as powerful as self-empowerment after a rattling of your worldview. And look at any plant medicine, ayahuasca. You know, when, when people come back and they're like, whoa, it changed my life forever. I'm not doing drugs anymore. Or I'm not doing this, you know, uh, bad behavior that, you know, this self-destructive behavior. Why? It's not because it just showed them how beautiful life can be. It showed them where hell and rock bottom actually is existent in you all the time and if it's always existent in you that means that we have to put on all these masks in social behavior to make it seem like oh i'm fine everything's cool how are you doing today oh i'm great when really you know it just it i don't have the 30 minutes on the street to tell you like actually my life is falling apart and i don't know what to do with myself and i've been considering drugs or suicide you know, like that's not an everyday casual conversation. So we just say, oh, I'm great. I'm fine. Right. And then we walk down the street and then our smile fades. So to get back to the point, filmmaking really for me is the way and also the way that I do it. It's like, yes, there's some conspiracy. Yes, there's some rattling of people's worldview. But once those pieces are kind of blown apart, All you have to do is remind people of the resonant truths that are existent within us, which is we are more powerful than we've ever been told. We don't even know what consciousness is. Like the the people we look up to, the scientists, right, in, you know, colleges and universities, they don't even know how to explain what consciousness is, which means from that bedrock, everything else is just a guess. All these other theories that it's like, oh, it's a fact that the universe started like this and this is how this works and everything. Now we get to quantum physics and, you know, everything is kind of changed by the observer and that is subjective. So we're now getting to a point where we are unraveling things that we thought were the bedrock of reality. So as a filmmaker, you either have the people that are like, well, let's just destroy people's illusion. Okay, but is that healthy if you don't give them a healthy framework to, to lift themselves back into? As a filmmaker, that's what I've always tried to do. So I, do, I don't deny the shadow, therefore I will touch upon conspiracy and dark truths. Sure. But I also don't deny that we are incredibly resilient. You just look anthropologically, what did we have to do to get to this point? Every creature that is still here had to fight tooth and nail to survive this long, especially yeah. amongst humans. Yeah. But for us, like put, a, put one human against a wolf, who's gonna win? You have no chance, no chance. <laughs> right? Against the bear, against the megafauna that existed long before we killed them all out. So how did we get to this point? We are incredibly intelligent and we learned diplomacy. So there's this collective togetherness that we learned that more of us together means that we can actually survive. That's very old. You go back to when the oceans were boiling and it was just single-celled organisms. They realized that if you have a multi-celled organism and you thicken your skin to keep the outside out and you inside, then you have a much better chance of survival. So to me, that's why I think this, um, so I can, you know, put a pin in this so we don't (laughs) take all our time. 
That's why I think this uh, um, event coming up is highly important because people get to meet those that they resonate with. And you don't need science to prove it or some, some fact checker to validate it. You resonate with people and you know, okay, your tribe, let's talk more. Let's carry this on further. And so I'm happy to be a part of this event. Yeah, likewise, likewise. And that was all so beautiful. I actually didn't even answer your question about the, the shift come 2020. Yeah, so... Well, I'll just really quickly say, like, I I wanted to quit doing films mm-hmm. um, because I just started realizing when I was making films, I wasn't putting adverts in there. I wasn't selling products. I wasn't monetizing. And I started noticing all these people that were doing those things. And I kind of got, like, turned off by it until I realized, well, that's the world that we live in. Right. But I was turned off by it. So I just went off going to Burning Man and just not doing anything living off the money that I was making by trimming weed. And then I had a daughter and I was like, oh, I need an actual bank account. I need to start making (laughs) real money. And so come 2020, I didn't know. I mean, Gaia had already picked me up. I was already, you know, making salary doing conspiracy docs and psychedelic docs and stuff like that. But eventually 2020 came and that was when I realized everybody else is freaking out. They're like, oh my God, the world is not what I thought it was in me. I was like, oh, I saw this coming 10 years ago, 12 years ago. And I was like, oh, now I get a deeper purpose of who I am. I'm here to help people that are just now waking up to the realities that conspiracy is an ever-present reality. And good people are also always around, but they're waking up to the conspiracy side of it. And I'm like, okay, I need to be here to fast track people through what, I, what took me a long time to get to which is there's always some danger lurking and there are always some friends that are around. And if you don't see any of it, if you haven't pattern recognized either of it, then you're not going to be able to make sense of it and you can lose a lot of hope. And really, you know, it might sound very um, poetic, but hope is really what, you know, when all these catastrophes and calamities throughout human history and beyond, hope is what kept us going for the most part, that there is a brighter day to come and we just need to make it through this dark night of the soul. So that was when I realized, okay, my films really need to dial in the formula that I was already onto back then, is you shatter people's illusions Mm -hmm. and you lift them up into the higher potential of what they never would have imagined they could um, rise into. But now that they are desperate for some kind of hope then you show them what really does exist and they'll know it by the fact that they resonate with it it's it's not that you're filling them with like you know goody gumdrops and rainbows you're you're telling them like listen we survived up to this point we have more than enough to get through this we just need to believe and it's time to gather the tribe together yeah wow that's so beautifully said it's really interesting a lot of people think that helplessness is like the default state but helplessness is actually learned. And in many cases, it's programmed. And uh, they, they do many studies on this. Uh, you know, Several psychologists have, have covered this. And there's actually a book on it. Um, but hopefulness is actually the default state. And it's for uh, survival purposes. Because just as you said, it's, it's what people think about. I mean, helplessness doesn't propel you forward. Right? It's not what people need to have a sense. Hope literally means that you feel like you have some control over something in your future and that you know they they did a study with uh, people who were suicidal mm-hmm. and wanting to know what was going to happen on their favorite television show the next week was enough to make them reconsider uh the act and that's incredibly powerful so it's just having that thing they could control if they would turn on tv you know this is uh, before they we had the you know Netflix series that you you know you had to actually wait till next week and that was enough to keep somebody alive and I think when it's you know people don't think about like we think of dopamine as Mm. being like the uh you know like the feel-good kind of reward but it's really it's a reward circuitry in the brain but the purpose of it is motivation it's to you know uh, inspire us to do hard things because you know, in Paleolithic time, prehistoric man didn't have the option of, uh, you know, just going to the grocery store. <laughs> he had to work really hard in order to survive. So 
Yeah. But I, so I think that that's a really interesting point just about the hope. And that's something I'm seeing too, because I, unlike you, I wasn't really, I, you know, I, I keep saying, I feel like I was such a normie up until two years ago. And it was, uh, really starting this podcast that opened up so much of my eyes. And, uh, for me, I think the big, uh, light bulb was, uh, doing the research on Tavistock. Mm-hmm. For me, that just spoke so deeply to me because of my background in psychology and philosophy and as an artist. And it kind of was like, wow, all of those fields have been so deeply infiltrated. Mm-hmm. And so it felt very personal to me. It really, as you said, shook my worldview. And I, I think that's such a fascinating point about having your worldview and your paradigm shift, but also then having the uh, you know, the the flip side of that, the bolster, because what do you do with that? You can either be left completely traumatized and devastated and become quite destructive, mm-hmm. or you can see another path and, you know, find the hope. And the, the other component I keep talking about is how people keep saying it's spiritual warfare. I think that's pretty evident, regardless of what your worldview is, you know, it, it's pretty hard to deny there seems to be some sort of a battle between light and dark, good and evil, whatever the, the labels you want to put on it. There seems to be some sort of a battle at play, but people focus a lot on the dark. Yeah. And if it really is a battle, there has to be the light. And if we don't see the light, then we can become very blackville, very depressed, very uh, fearful. Mm-hmm. And so I think that is incredibly important. And I think that it was also really interesting when you uh, bring up the point of uh, like plant medicines and because I've seen recently, it just seen it's so reminiscent of the '60s with a major, major propaganda push. Yeah, you know, I'm seeing like mushrooms on children's clothing mm-hmm. in furniture stores. I'm like, I'm sorry, mushrooms are not. It, it, they're not like decorative. You know, no. they're not pretty. <laughs> so there's clearly something where they're trying to push this subliminal messaging. Um, and I think there's many. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. I think there's many agendas at play. Uh, I certainly think. Uh, Big Pharma has a, uh, a a plan for it as well, and I know Peter Thiel is involved in several synthetic, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, medicinal uh, patents currently. So I think that's a component. But I think there is also this: if you can shake somebody's paradigm, you have a lot more control over them, and uh, that's a great tool for uh, social engineering. Yeah. If they if they don't have anything else. And we live in a society where culture has been infiltrated to destabilize in fa- instead of uh, reinforce. And so it's kind of a breeding ground for that type of usurpation. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, there's infiltration everywhere in every facet um, by those that are in it for themselves and by those that are let's say at the time they're in it for themselves, but they're not bad people. Like we don't hear about the good people in office all the time, Mm -hmm. you know, um, because we just, we're so downtrodden by all the lies and the corruption that we make the blanket statement to say all of it is just like that. But oftentimes, you know, we'll, we'll see terrible legislation make it through, but we won't see it go as awful as, the the ultimate naysayers say it will go mm-hmm. because there are already existent people in office in congress you know there are senators there are uh, congressmen that they are good people and they aren't falling for the bottom two percent right and so let's just talk about like a couple things that are out there right now the 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 right seems to be pushing against transgender and the left seems to think well you're all transphobic and this just proves my theory that you're white supremacists and and definitely the dialectic they're trying to push right now totally and and so that's that's a helpful dialectic if you want to just predict and control people's behavior totally because most people create uh warring factions right right and and like especially if you get brothers and sisters fighting themselves you're a lot easier to control and all you need are a couple algorithms to tell you like, you know, okay, we'll just give this kind of information, make sure it only arrives at these people and these people get this information and all of a sudden they're going to distrust their own neighbors and that'll make it a lot easier to bring about CBDCs and bring about a system of, well, we're trying to save you with all this slavery. Um, but the, you know, I guess the core of that, like when For your it, safety, 
Yeah, for for your safety, which is uh, honestly that's the oldest tactic in the book. Like you know the the burning of uh, Reichstag um, all the way back to Rome. You know these false flags. It doesn't have to be a big explosion to be a false flag. All it really needs to be is like you know well we have reason to believe that there's Russian collusion or we have reason to believe that there's this information on this laptop and you know I I see the balancing side of of both sides of every argument and what i start to see more or less is we are seeing the bottom two percent of the other side we're seeing the worst of the worst of the other side so we think everybody who votes democrat wants to chop genitals off and get seven-year-olds to you know take puberty blockers and the worst of the worst we make that association and we call them a cult and then we can't understand why they think we're a cult no we just want our freedoms right but then, you know, to, to be honest, I don't mind Kid Rock, but, you know, uh, I had this conversation with somebody who was saying, like, well, it's obvious the right are very dangerous and volatile and will use violence at any turn. And I'm like, well, have you seen Chaz? And have you seen these autonomous zones? But then you, you come to see, you know, Bud Light um, uses Dylan Mulvaney. And then you have Kid Rock taking, you know, a semi-automatic and shoot Bud Light cans and everything like that. And that's not violence. It's not even calling for violence. But I can see how the left would take that as a violent act. Like, you know, these people with semi-automatic gun, uh, semi guns, why do they even need those guns? And look, that's an act of violence right there. You're showing the bottom 2% of the worst of the worst of the left and the right. So those that are potentially moderate are being pushed to the extremities and there's no more middle ground. That's what it is. Like the centrists, there's no more middle ground where we can meet and have an intelligent conversation anymore that's being drowned out so my my whole takeaway from that is when the when all sides of any conversation are being pushed to the extremities and enemies are being made of everybody it's not incumbent upon our elected officials this is the problem where we're all like somebody save us somebody stop us from all this madness no it is up to us to find the center amidst the chaos of the storm and speak that truth while everybody else is screaming this or screaming that for us to find our centers and to have those conversations, even though a lot of people aren't listening. And we can say, nobody's listening. No, some people are. Right. And those people are listening because they know, oh, this makes so much more sense than this, like what the left wants everyone to think about the right and what the right wants everyone to think about the left the people in the center are having the conversations that's like, okay, you know what, beyond transgender, beyond the, the left and the right dichotomy and the Hegelian dialectic, beyond that, there are some topics we really need to talk about right now. Let's ignore the noise and start, you know, bringing this to fruition, bringing the real conversations to fruition. That's not going to be your elected officials. That's going to be your artists. And that's why I've become an artist is because I believe it is the most obvious, efficient, and therefore inevitable tool to reach people without force or coercion. Yeah, I think that's so true. Interestingly, I, I absolutely agree about people having conversations in the middle. I think that is very important. Um, but I would actually take it a step further. You brought up the Hegelian dialectic. And I think that you know, part of what they want is to have the negation. So they want these extremes so that you can wipe out completely. And then they, they aim their new targets. And, uh, you know, it's uh, the dialectic progress progresses and it progresses left. You know, that is always aiming in one direction. So I would actually argue that, you know, one of the things that needs to happen, and I think artists are really good at doing this because artists are great at seeing outside of the box. Mm. And I think one of the things that needs to happen is they've created managed dialectics and they do this oftentimes through narratives. And I think that, you know, not to say that other people can't do this, but because I think all human beings are creative, but artists tend to be more tapped into their creativity and therefore, they're able to step out of what they literally call the, the sorcerer's circle, the wizard's mm -hmm. circle, right? I mean, that's not a term that we've coined. Like, you look at the hermeticists, like, they, they use that terminology. And that is how the dialectic works, is they create these circles. And so, either way, you're always inside of the paradigm that they've created. And I think one of the, the great talents of an artist is that they can step, they can color outside the lines and still make it look pretty or still make it appealing, or make it interesting at the very least. And if we can start having conversations and, uh, you know, concepts, ideas, 
uh, thought processes and possibly solutions mm -hmm. that aren't inside that perfect little circle, then I think as humanity, we have a real chance to, you know, evolve uh, in a humane kind of a way. Yeah, and I, I, I totally agree. And I feel that there are, I feel like the stress and the anxiety from the left, from the right, mm -hmm. you know, from even probably some of the people that are pushing the narratives, the stress and anxiety that they are experiencing is this feeling of urgency. Like I have got to get people motivated now. Right. And I can justify a couple lies. I can justify bending the narrative if it's in the direction that I want. Right. Because I'm really trying to help. And I do believe that for the most part, even those that are using chaos magic mm -hmm. believe that we are in a, a dystopian world already. Right. You need to break down the boundaries of this already existent dystopian world in order for the natural thing to emerge. And, and that comes from their worldview. So they are informed upon a worldview that when you break down some of the BS that we're living under, the natural thing will emerge. And they may even believe there is a pecking order and I choose to be at the top and others will choose to be at the bottom. And that's the way that is goodness coming to fruition. Everybody else thinking that we should all be, you know, vegan and, and, and only be nice to one another and, you know, never use harmful words and stuff like that. They're living in a delusion. And, the, you know, I'm, I won't even say that that's completely incorrect. There was this guy, it was a scientist, I can't remember, maybe in, in the 60s, made a mouse utopia. And it was this city. It was a huge city with high rises and everything and just put mice in there. Fed them every single day. It was a utopia. And for the most part, they were seen gathering with hundreds of their buddies and, you know, like constantly hanging out. But then eventually it started getting to this degenerate um, place where the female mice stopped caring for their young and actually stopped having sex. And they would seclude themselves in almost elite fashion on the top of the high rises. The males would form gangs and they were like transsexual gangs, meaning like they would have sex with whatever. It didn't matter with a lot of violence and they would be attacking one another and this was a utopia. So even those who feel like we're so close to utopia, why do all these jackasses have to come along and almost and try and screw it up? It's like, you call this utopia from your perspective, but there have, you know, like, when, when does uh, Armageddon happen for the homeless, right? It's been happening, right? You know, you could say, what, you know, when is World War III going to happen? Like, they've been living at the bottom end of this stick for quite some time. And people who feel disenfranchised, this is what you're seeing with, you know, people of color using, uh, and actually it's not even the people of color, it's mainly white people that are using racism as a tactic to stamp out racism, mm -hmm. right? So it's this idea that, you know, like, let's take, you know, Martin Luther King is my hero. So I now dream of a world where you should judge people based upon the color of their skin and you should say that white people are definitely the devil and you should push this in school. And it's like the antithesis of what Martin Luther King said. I exactly. Right. You know, I, I dream of a future where the, the color of your skin is the prime determinant upon whether you are a good person or a bad person. And most people don't fall for this. But those who are desperate do because they want a form of belonging that actually empowers them. You can belong to the homeless sect, but that's not going to empower you. If you belong to an angry group of people who are now getting seen by the powers that be and starting to get a little bit more political and sociopolitical power, then parrot whatever line they are spitting because this lifts me falsely, but it lifts me. And it's the same thing as a cult or a gang, sure. which the NFL is a cult. Right. If you look at it in the right way, the United States is a cult. You know, the, any gathering or a group is a cult. They have different Kool-Aids. Yeah. Cult just means group think. But yeah. Yeah. So with that being said, um, I guess the ultimate point is when you can't tell what information online is true or false, it's not up to the Internet to decide for you anymore. And this is where people are stuck. They're like, 
well, how do we get a fact checker to fact check the fact checkers? It's just like, <laughs> do you hear yourself? What you really need is your own discernment yeah. and intuition. And if it's too difficult to make an understanding, is this true? Is this not true? It's not really for you to decide at this point. Leave it alone. Don't use, don't get into all this stress and fear. Like I need to change the world now. Like do right by your family, do right by your community and all the other stuff. If it's right in your face and you need to, uh, to make a split decision, use your intuition. You have what you need to get by in this world. I think everything that's happening right now is perfect and it's right on time. And when we say it's terrible, it's awful what's happening in the world. It's like from that mind frame, you're, you're right. You're, <laughs> right. It's like whether you think you're wrong or you're right, you're right. Right. So my idea is if we can start helping engender the narrative that it doesn't matter what difficulty is arising, it's calling you to a higher version of yourself. Mm-hmm. It's lifting you into that higher version of yourself because I'll, I'll end on this. I've seen so many people lose faith and they just have no energy, right? And then you poke the right cord or the right wound inside them and all of a sudden they get furious and where did all that energy come from? It was always inside you. It was the orientation of how you frame what reality is. Reality is what's breaking down right now for people. I don't know what's real, what's right. Okay, go inward. It's there. You already sense it. You already know what you're capable of. And half the problems you're worrying about, they're not in front of you. They're on your screen. So like, you know, what do I do about all these problems? I have an idea. Put the phone down. (laughs) Go outside. Are there people in your front yard screaming about the same issue? I doubt it. So empower yourself the way that you can. And don't take up fights that you don't need to. Don't expend all your bandwidth and your biological energy on fights that are not in front of you. They're not your problem right now. Yeah, I think a, a huge part of what you're uh, bringing up is really because people are so atomized. And I do think that that is by design, you know, I mean, a, a great way to control people. And I do think they have an agenda to silo us all into the metaverse, you know, so and a great way to, way to control people is to silo them into something that is artificial. And so then they're being fed, uh, their fears are being fed. And that's a, a great control mechanism. Mm-hmm. But when you're around people, I, you know, it's an, another reason why I'm doing this this event is because I do see how important it is to, for people to be in person yeah. with one another. And when you have real support systems, you know, before we were talking about tribalism, and I think that that people have such a negative connotation of tribes, but it, there is something so hardwired into our biology because we're social beings, and we need to know that we have people around us that we trust, that we connect with. Uh, that we can be comfortable, familiar, and safe around. Mm-hmm. And I think that one of the ways of destabilizing people is to atomize them. But then because there's just this intrinsic human need to connect with other humans, that people do start seeking in artificial ways. Yeah. And that's where that's where these narrative controls become so powerful and so effective. Because in order for somebody to have a sense of belonging, they identify with whatever uh, you know narrative they feel... Uh, compelled to or they feel will as you said lift them but i don't even think you know there of course there are megalomaniacs they're psychopaths that they exist um and they've they've even figured out how to create those so you know they they can be amplified um those personality traits but i think that most people it really is a biological survival mechanism because they want to know that if they're if they belong to a certain group and they are elevated, they 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 feel a sense of safety and security in that. Mm. And uh, as you said, that doesn't necessarily make somebody a bad person. They're 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 grabbing onto something that they think is going to help them survive. Yeah, and that whether consciously or not. Yeah, and we're really not going to escape this. Um, enemy making where like we're, we're constantly on the lookout for like what's coming to harm us. Right. We're not going to escape that through some form of legislation or top down, right. somebody please help us. Right. We are silently, it's an insinuation inherent in the, 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 the global stage as it's set right now that we must lift ourselves and help our community. Right. And it's, it's only by ways of siloing language 
and then demonizing and emotionally loading certain kinds of concepts that we find tribalism to be wrong, mm -hmm. right? Because you can somehow equate that to racism. But it, the thing is, is what we're doing now is we're shunning people based upon ideology. Right. So like if you like, so you could say, uh, I mean, for me, I've been a conspiracy theorist for like 15 years We've never been heralded as, you know, great, beautiful, like we're never invited into the in-groups that are there. So in a way, we're more disenfranchised than, you know, any other group that's yeah. out there yeah. because we're saying the difficult things that most people, like they don't want to hear the difficult things because there is this tendency to outrun our shadow, to not integrate our shadow content. And for me, this is why spirituality is at the core of everything that we're talking about here. It doesn't matter whether it's, um, you know, orthodoxy that you're talking about, or if it's paganism, or if it's your own created new age spirituality. The bottom line is you yourself, the individual, has to find within that thing that lifts you. And you have to understand those tendencies that bring you back down. And once we acknowledge that, that doesn't mean the entire like uh, world of problems are solved. But what that means is you've discovered something that can be of social value to others. Mm -hmm. So you bring that to others. And this is why I do believe that there are economies that are much better suited for people to have an awakening. Mm -hmm. And socialism is not it. Mm -hmm. Communism is not it. Libertarianism is close. Mm -hmm. I would even say anarcho-capitalism is close. Yeah. But there is a reason why none of them are the yeah, answer. I agree. And that is because it would be too easy if there were just one formula, formula yeah. for us all to awaken. Yeah. So I actually don't have a problem with those pushing for socialism. I don't believe it's the way, mm -hmm. but I have no problem with those that are pushing for it because what if we were all like, in agreement that, oh, anarcho-capitalism is the way, then guess what? We're going to realize that that is not a utopia either, mm -hmm. that there's going to be problems that you're going to solve some problems and then all of a sudden a bunch are going to pop up and they're going to be like, oh, what now? Well, I guess socialism is the problem. Like, no, stop looking for a utopia that is a formula, this equals good. Once you stop looking for that, then you realize that it's this con continual evolving trajectory towards your higher self and also lifting others up and you like there's this adaptive gene on top of it like yes there's a formula there are formulas that work sure. but it's this adaptability you never know what the future is really going to be let's say we solved every problem that we have today that doesn't mean that five more problems aren't going to pop up tomorrow and we're going to be scratching our heads again like but i thought the formula right <laughs> right so what it really is is we think that there's some memo from God mm -hmm. that we're supposed to have a utopian blissful existence here. That's not, we weren't given any assurances that that's what it's like. And all of our evolution up till now has solved a lot of those problems. And still we're today, people are up in arms. We're on the verge of World War III and people don't understand why. Right. To me, it really is like, because we haven't healed Mm -hmm. We're looking for legislation to stop hate. Like, give me a break. You can't legislate hate or censor hate out of existence. You heal hate. Mm -hmm. Where are all the people that are saying, okay, you know, instead of like reparations or all these other, you know, uh, legislative measures, why don't we have, why don't we stop all, um, you know, economic and industrial scale destruction of ecosystems and have a one-year ceremony. Everybody has to be involved in this ceremony. And the intention is to heal the fact that we've all been slaves. Every color has held slaves and been slaves. Oh, yeah. The word slave comes from Slavs, who were whites, held by Muslim Spanish. Yep. And so once you frame it in a different way, it's like, oh no, what we actually need is healing. And that's where an awakening will happen again. Yep. Healing and forgiveness. That's yeah. why I'm a filmmaker. Yeah. Wow. That's so beautiful. <laughs> um, I, I one thing I want to add to that is that when you talk about, um, you know, the people are constantly looking for, you know, I, in a way, I guess, like the savior complex, whether it be the legislator who's going to come up with the magic legislation or mm -hmm. it's a magical economic system that's going to, uh, you know, cure all the uh, all the problems of the world and all the uh, poverty. I think the other problem really is the binary thinking. Uh, people really like to live in the world of black and white. 
uh, you know, metaphorically speaking, they want the, and this is part of why the dialectical narratives and managed dialectics are so effective and powerful because people have a lot of trouble with nuance and they have trouble with the shades of gray. Yeah. And humanity is, that, that is like the quintessential component of humanity is that we are nuanced beings. We, we live in the shades of gray. Our, you know, just our, our biological, our mental and our emotional makeup are all, you know, comprised of extreme, very, very detailed nuance. Yeah, and well put. I think that if we could embrace that more, if people could get more comfortable with that, then I think we would have a lot less polarity and people would also be, I, I think it, part of the uh, binary logic is because we are looking for our team. It's like, you know, I'm on team red, you're on team blue, and this is the good team, this is the bad team. But, you know, what if there were somewhere, I, I know I'm going to get flack for this because of what purple symbolizes, but just red and blue do happen to make purple <laughs> my favorite color. So, you know, we'll, do, we'll just put that out there. But like, what if it was like a certain shades of purple that we could have some sort of engagement and uh, not that purple is the pinnacle or anything, but just... You know, that what if people could live somewhere in there or they could, you know, live in the green or whatever. I know colors have so many connotations. So yeah. but even just that is that everybody wants to pin, you know, something onto something instead of actually dealing with what they're confronted with. And what does that bring up? And I think if humanity could embrace that. And that is something that art does do, because this is what, you know, when a uh, Long before I had any kind of awakening, you know, I, I always recognized this is part of why, you know, I think the left is much better about this. They use this part of why art is infiltrated and co-opted many times because it has a visceral reaction for people. It's subconscious. You know, music, this is why they changed the hertz from, you know, the, the 330. 432 to 440. Yeah. Exactly. 432 to 440. Uh, because it has the capacity to change you on a cellular level. You know, and I think all art really does. You know, how are people impacted when they see a beautiful sunset? Mm. And that's just, it's a beauty in nature that elevates us and that it makes us pause in a way that very few things can and that is so incredibly human. Yeah. It's just, we're captivated by it. We can't explain it. And oftentimes, completely subconscious. We can't explain every single cellular process that occurs uh, during that experience, but we also can't deny it. And I think that a lot of times when you were talking about one of the reasons why humans uh, have evolved as far as we have, even though we probably won't beat, defeat a wolf or a bear unless we're, you know, really good marksmen <laughs> and uh, we hunt them down. It's because of our intelligent design that we have been able to uh, survive as long as we have and evolve as much as we have. But I think that part of, you know, it's because it, because we are so nuanced and because we are, we don't live in a utopia that the the downside of that intelligence is that we can uh it can block us from our intuition we can rationalize things so that we feel closer to whatever team uh we have decided we belong and that might not be right because we're not always going to you know the most brilliant of people who i you know admire and respect i don't agree with them 100 percent mm -hmm. of the time you know like i don't agree with 100 percent of my views from you know, 10 years ago. Yeah. Like, years ago, right. Like I, you know, so hopefully we're all evolving and we shift our perspective as new information is brought forth. And I think that we're, because we are rational beings, sometimes we block ourselves in that. It's easy to reason your way out of something that feels yeah. right or wrong, yeah. but art affects you viscerally and you can't, you just have a reaction. Yeah, it's an immersive experience. I mean, I think the reason the metaverse makes sense. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason why I think the metaverse is going to merge with transdermal psychedelic patches. Because transdermal psychedelic patches, I mean, people who get off DMT, they're like, whoa, that was more real than this real. Okay. Now imagine you give a microdose or a threshold dose to somebody transdermally while they're in this experience that if they were really in their skeptical mind, they'd be like, yeah, but this is fake. Right. But you're a little high and you're like, whoa, this feels so real. It, what is a movie other than a fully immersive experience? Let's yeah. dim the lights, let's have a big screen, surround sound, and you feel like you're there. It's to, it's to capture the mirror neurons and to make you feel like you're actually there. You're on the edge of your seat. Yeah. Staring, in, staring at a painting of a sunset, it's kind of an immersive experience. You, it has your undivided attention. It's the same thing with social media. All algorithms are vying for your attention seconds. Keep you on platform longer. Why did it use sexualization of children 
uh, outrage, rage porn, fear porn, porn porn to keep your attention? Because that's our subconscious mind. Why is two-thirds of the internet porn? Because that's what people think about on the subconscious level. That's actually, it fuels a lot of different realms of thought that you wouldn't classify as porn. Actually, you watch Hollywood movies, Disney movies. And I'll, I'm trying to think of one in particular. But there are consistent amounts of them where if there's a man and there's a woman, and it doesn't always have to be that, but you will notice that there's a struggle when they, when they win each other over. First, they don't like each other. They're at each other's throats. And then eventually, that's the tension. That's the buildup. That's the charge. And then there's this moment. And I always hear it. And I'm not watching because I'm doing the dishes or something. My kids are watching. And um, I'll hear. And it's just a bunch of heavy panting. And like, ah, ah, ah. And, the, you know, because the, the, they're struggling with something. They're trying to get out of a cave or something like that. Yeah. And then some big explosion, usually with water, and they get drenched. And afterwards, they're like, ah, and giggling and like, oh, my God. Oh, we're okay. And whatever it might be. And there was even the, the Boss Baby movie. There, there's this grown man's voice telling this little kid to suck on this pacifier. And, you know, he pulls this thing out. And the kid's like, oh, what do you want me to do with that? I want you to suck it. I'm not going to suck that. I don't know where it's been. It's not about where it's been. It's where it'll take you. And so he starts sucking on it. You hear sucking noises. And he's like, faster. And I'm hearing an adult voice say this to a kid voice. And I look. And then I'm like, okay, now it makes sense. But your subconscious mind is drinking in all that little nuance. And these are all Disney movies that do this. The bottom line is, is we're also looking for an enemy like, oh, who directed that film? Mm-hmm. No, this actually happens in, a, in an emergent quality. So my whole point be, behind this is while we're looking for enemies to explain the, the, the perversion that we see, mm-hmm. uh, why is two thirds of the Internet porn? Well, it's not because somebody twisted their mustache and said, you know what? Two thirds of the Internet must be porn because we have to corrupt people. It's actually showing us what our subconscious shadow content is. Why do the algorithms focus on rage porn, fear porn, all that kind of stuff? Because it keeps our attention. Why? Because our higher self knows we need to integrate our shadow. So to me, the, the set is perfect to show us what we are dealing with, what our delusions are, how to awaken And it's by accepting and surrendering to the fact that this is the playing field and it's not perfect. It's filled with darkness. But once you've come to grips with that, then you can understand how to transcend it. It's not when you live in a a, a fantasy world that you can transcend. Only once you integrate the shit you do not want to know about that you can transcend it. Right. And that is this world. We are actually living in a perfect uh, time in history. All the tension is pushing us to wake up. All this crap that we're screaming about is pushing us to wake up as a species in mass. And I think that is going to shatter this old one person's here to save us. Trump's going to save us. Jesus is back to save us. Right? No, we need a collective awakening. So we're not looking for who's who, who's to blame or who's, you know. And that will elevate all. If we all looked in, we all uh, elevated ourselves. And exactly. The collective. I we we have to wrap up to on your time. We have so, I, there's so much to unpack in that, but I want to just very quickly say that you know, regardless of your worldview, I think this is essentially the Genesis story, right? Mm. Because uh, this we wouldn't have free will if we didn't have the the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah, and I think that's exactly you know the uh, the analogy of this awakening, right? Because it's for people to choose, and I think people do want to immerse in one or the other. They want to immerse in the dark, and everything's all evil, and we can point the finger out. Not to blame. It's so easy. Or live in this state of denial. And, Mm. you know, if we just got rid of all these things, you know, look, it's all just rainbows and care bears. And, you know, it's just uh, all all this bliss and it would be perfect. And that's not reality either. That's that's not the human experience. Yeah. Can I say just say one more thing? Because it's reminding me of, of what I always come back to is it's hard to find love in your heart while you're looking at what you call the enemy or the darkness. But that's the most important moment to find love in your heart. Because I could tell you all sorts of things I don't agree with Bill Gates on, Mm -hmm. but I do not ever cultivate hate in my heart for somebody that I've only read about online. In fact, even if somebody does something heinous and I witness it, does that give them the right 
for me to cultivate hate in my heart, what net benefit comes from that? So it's easy to hate. It's hard to cultivate love and to forgive. That doesn't mean forget. That doesn't mean be soft and let them do whatever they want to you. And it doesn't mean accept things that you think are fundamentally wrong. Right. Do the right thing of, you know, reduce harm as much as you can. But don't give anybody, not the Hitlers, the Genghis Khans of the world's, you this feeling that, oh, I must cultivate hate in my heart because guess what? It's not going to stop at Hitler. It's not going to stop at Genghis Khan. It's going to help you. <laughs> it's going to be your neighbor. It's going to be your family. When they do something you don't like, that hate is going to need to project itself out. Don't give yourself a reason to cultivate hate. It's hard to cultivate love when you're looking at the world in, in the shadow. Right. Cultivate love no matter what. That, that is the answer. That is the awakening we're looking for. Yes, it's hard. Don't look for the easy way out because it's not the real solution. Right. Yeah, no, that's, that's really beautiful. I think that's so true. And yeah, I absolutely agree. It, that doesn't mean that you uh, disregard exactly. the harm that they've done. It doesn't mean you, uh, you know, make excuses for it or justify it. It means that you, again, take in the nuance because you know every human who has taken the path they've taken there, there's a whole set of circumstances of biology, of uh, life that has le- led them to the choices that they've made. So, you know, that doesn't justify them. That doesn't make them right. You can definitely disagree with somebody's path. Yeah. But to understand that the nuance of it, because otherwise, if you just feel the hate, then you're taking a very reductionistic view. And then you can't solve problems if you've reduced everything to, well, that's just evil. Yeah. And it may be evil. But why? What led to those choices, those actions? And what are the things that could have intercepted? And how can we make a better path to the next time? So we're going to wrap up. We're definitely going to do a part two. Yes. And I'm so excited to have you at Rebels for Cause. On uh, I can't believe it. We're, it's almost a week away. I so know. a little over a week. So not this weekend, but the next weekend, uh, June 3rd and 4th in uh, the Liberty Hall, the Franklin Factory. And uh, yeah, if you have anything else you want to add, definitely tell everybody where they can find you, find all your great work. BenJosephStewart.com and you'll find my YouTube.com backslash BenJosephStewart. All my content's on there and reach out to me. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.